The reading this morning is from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning again. Um, We are continuing this morning in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, one of the things that I love about Jesus' teaching um, always, but particularly in this sermon, is just the uh, practicality of it, how relevant it is. Um, I was talking to even even before the sermon uh, about that. There's nothing that's like up in the ether with this that we really have to try to like figure out. It's so complex. It's just... Boom, this is how we live and where we're at. And so this morning, this idea of anxiety um, will probably strike home to most of us and all of us because all of us at some point um, in our lives and in our weeks um, feel a little bit of anxiety or worry or whatever it be um, kind of creeping in. Um, Generation Z, um, Z, uh, has been named the most anxious generation um, and they reckon there's multiple kind of layers for that. Mainly, they have lived indoor lives um, surrounded by technology and just all these kind of complicating factors of just how they kind of live their lives add to a lot of our anxiety, add to a lot of stress. But anxiety and stress is, in some ways, part of the human condition, um, isn't it? We're, this is a, a book that was written thousands of years ago, and yet it feels like it could have been written today. Um, especially when we come um, to this. And so our text this morning, um, where we find ourselves picking it up again in verse 25, starts off with this word, therefore. And so uh, that's a, an important um, word. It's, uh, it's obviously Jesus is saying in light of um, everything that we've just looked at or, or because of the things we've just said, uh, in conclusion of those things, um, in light of these truths. And so let's just remind ourselves what some of those things were in the preceding kind of passage. He was uh, saying that we really should lay up our treasures in heaven. We should uh, place our, our, our uh, heart uh, on the things that we value most, the things that we are pursuing in uh, an incorruptible place um, in heaven, in the presence of God, where we don't have to worry about things rotting or being stolen. 
Um, he reminds us of where uh, our heart is, uh, is where our treasure is. Those things end up in the same place. Essentially, what we value is who we are. Um, we talked about um, this idea of a good eye and a bad eye, one full of light, one full of darkness. Uh, and we really looked at this idea of that representing um, a light, a, a body that's full of light is, is a person that is uh, single and not in, in doubleness, in double soul, uh, double-minded. We are whole, uh, in, in integrated people. We are one thing and not like the hypocrites uh, who are double. They have, they're double-hearted in this sense. And so in light of all of that, he says, therefore, do not be anxious. And he, he's, he commands us this three different times, verse 25, verse 31, verse 35, um, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not have a, a consuming, an all-consuming concern. And the context for this command is because we have a loving Father who sees us. Um, that's the refrain over and over, right? Don't practice your righteous to be seen by other people uh, because you have a Father in heaven who sees you in secret. You have a Father who sees you who knows you. Such a simple truth that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. You're seen by the Father this morning. Nothing in your life goes unseen, unnoticed, uncared for by Him. And so we all, um, at some level, struggle with anxiety. Um, for some, it might, you know, there's a spectrum on these things. It, it might be what we would kind of call common worry. You know, we just kind of worry about certain things. Maybe you have exams coming up. Uh, maybe there's stuff at work, relationships, you know, things that we kind of worry about. All the way to the other end of the spectrum, it might be more clinical or there might be trauma um, in our life, um, post-traumatic stuff that, that causes anxiety in our life. Um, and often we forget that God as a father sees and knows these things. Um, most of what we will look at today, uh, I think when we think about worry, we need to remember um, all throughout this, the God who sees us. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that all at the... Pro at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. So we're to cast all our anxieties, all of them, on God. Why? Is it because he's the mighty, he's the mighty hand of God? Well, yes, but that's not the direct reason he gives. It says that we should cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares. Jesus tells us not to be anxious, not because it's some kind of rule, um, because as Christians you shouldn't be anxious, so just stop it. No, he says don't be anxious because you have a father who cares for you. And ultimately anxiety doesn't lead us into a life of flourishing. It doesn't lead us into a life of peace and shalom and wholeness. And so what kind of anxiety, what are we talking about when we talk about anxiety? Um, just a common definition for that is a feeling, a feeling of worry, of nervousness, or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. So this is anxiety that's mostly future-oriented worry. 
We'll read about something with an uncertain outcome to come. Um, and so there's some kinds of anxiety, PTSD, trauma, things that are more past-oriented um, that then cause things into our present and our future. Um, and this passage, it's not that this passage doesn't have anything to say to that. I think it does. So uh, this passage is as relevant to that as it is as well. Um, but there are probably some types of anxiety that you might need some help applying these truths and others too with a counselor uh, in that way. But as we think about kind of what we would think of as common anxiety, worry about tomorrow, worry about uncertainty, worry about a future that we have no capability of controlling. My attempt to control the uncontrollable in the future is this anxiety. It causes this anxiety in my life. And our anxiety and our worry, um, if we're really honest about it, usually reveals us trying at, at, at a foundational level of us trying to be God or us trying to carry the weight and responsibility of God. We're trying to carry things that we were never meant to. And so why shouldn't Christians be anxious? Now, this is important. Um, why did I say it that way? Why, why shouldn't Christians be anxious? Again, Jesus, in the context of this sermon, is speaking to um, his disciples, the people of God, the Jews at this time. And so the, princi- the principles that we're going to look at today um, are, apply to Christians. These aren't just general kind of principles that Jesus is giving, um, you know, to, to deal with anxiety. You know, here's five steps that anybody can, can use to deal with anxiety. Um, this is, this is, these are promises. Uh, these are things that will help us with our anxieties if we are part of the people of God, if we are followers of Jesus, if God is our Father um, in that sense. And so if you're here today and that's not you, um, I'm really glad you're here. Um, and I'm really glad you're here to listen to these things. I hope some of these things might provoke you um, to investigate faith in Jesus and, and his way more. Because um, whilst, this, whilst what we're going to talk about today is really only available to Christians, the good news is, is that uh, anybody is welcome to come and be a Christian. And so um, it's, uh, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, that could change today. You could turn your life over to Jesus and find the cure for anxiety this morning in your life. And so let's just look at a few of these principles. Um, the text is just going to teach itself as it, as it always does, as it usually does. Um, it's pretty kind of straightforward this morning. And so the first thing that I want us to see, why shouldn't we be nervous? Why shouldn't we worry? Why shouldn't our lives be characterized by anxiety? One, we see that our life is more than material security. Your life is more than that. Um, it's interesting, the, the word that Jesus uses for life here, um, there, there's different words that you can use. Obviously, he wasn't speaking English, so as we translate it out of Greek, Aramaic, things like this, um, the word that he used isn't the word bios, which is the normal word when we think of life. It's where we get our word biology from. The word that he uses is suke. It's the, it's the root word that we get psyche from or psychology from. So when he says your life is more than, he's not just talking about your biological kind of what keeps your heart beating and ticking. He says your life, the inside, which is what he's been talking about this whole time, our inner person, our heart, your life, both inside and out, is more than just material security. Um, This isn't a... um, 
a Gnostic kind of view where your body and your soul, the physical and the spiritual, are separated out. Um, as, that was a common view back then, that your body was bad, your body wasn't good, it was your spirit, it was your soul um, that was the most important thing. And Jesus comes along, Christianity comes along and says, no, both these things are important. Your body, your physical life, um, and your inside. And so Jesus says that these things um, together are more than just our material security. Your life is more than food and clothing. You have greater needs, Jesus says, than just your physical needs. You have deeper needs than just what you will eat and how you will shelter yourself, how you will clothe yourself. And this is important for us to understand, right? Because so much of the message that we're just bombarded with, with advertising, um, is focused on the surface level kind of things, right? So much of advertising is you should eat, you should eat this. Um, you should wear this. Your body should look like this. And it creates a lot of anxiety in our life, right? Because I don't look like that. Most of us don't look like um, what the world tells us our body should look like. Um, we're not always able to eat in Michelin-starred restaurants and um, you know, what should I be wearing? Whatever's on sale at the Gap usually is what I end up wearing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a pretty easy, simple going guy. But it can create these kind of anxieties, right? And then we throw social media in there where it's not just professional advertisers. Now we're all, we're all part of the advertising uh, machine, aren't we? Because inadvertently, we're all advertising, this is, this is what my life is like, and this is what, you know, aren't you, aren't, don't you wish your life was like mine? Social media for Generation Z has been identified as one of the highest causes of anxiety in their life. Um, the more, and just be tracked, the more you're on social media, the more apps, the more platforms that you're using for social media, the higher level of anxiety teenagers and people in their 20s have. And those that use those less or aren't on them have a much lower degree of anxiety. Why? Because it's, it's the anxiety of, I'm not measuring up. I should be eating this. I should be wearing this. And Jesus comes along and he says, food, clothing, etc. they're good things, obviously, but they're not ultimate. Life is more than the immediate. It's more than your material security. Don't make it your highest pursuit. Don't give it the weight that so many of us give that creates these disappointed expectations in our lives and it causes stress and anxiety. Your life is more. It's more about what you will eat or what you will drink. It's more about your body and what you will put on. And he asks this question, is not life more than food, body, more than clothing? The second thing we see, um, Christian, is that you are more important to God than any other part of his creation. Look at verse 26. Um, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? In verse 28, 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field or the grass of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which stays alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven or gathered up, used for fuel for the fire um, to keep them warm, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. This is um, an, a, an argument. It's a, it's a how much more than argument. Um, in the Latin, it's an a foriciae argument. If this is true, how much more than is this true? Um, and we see uh, the scripture use this a lot, right? Romans 5.10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse eight, uh, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is this, if, if this is true, then how much more is this true? If God sent his own son while you were his enemy, while you could care less, while we were dead in our own sin, if God loved us enough to send his own son to reconcile us then while we were his enemies and didn't care about him, how much more then now that you are a part of his family, that you are his son and daughter, how much more then, if that's what he did for you when you were an enemy, what, how much more then will he care for you now that you are adopted into his family? This is this, if this is true, then, then how much more so? Um, so let me give you a, an illustration um, close to my own heart. Um, I have a cat. And when I say I have a cat, I basically feed an animal. And that's the, that's the relationship. And that's the extent of the relationship. Um, we named the cat Noir. I don't think she cares. Um, because she literally just shows up in the morning and is like, where's the food? We feed her, and then she buggers off for the rest of the day. Doesn't want to be pet, doesn't want to be, like, no purring, no nothing. This time of year, doesn't even come in at night. Winter, okay, she'll come in at night, sleep, literally will eat, and then is like, you mind opening the door so I can, like, take off? That's the, that's the, the extent of the relationship. Sue and I are like, why are we still feeding this cat? So we thought we'd get the cat, other oh, kids, we thought that would keep us from having to get a dog. We were sorely wrong. But our dog is great, like adds loads of joy to the house. Like it feels like, okay, there's a benefit here for this relationship. The cat, not at all. Like it's a relational deficit. <laughs> so, but let me ask you this. Do you think my kids worry about me feeding them? Nope. Why? Because they, they see me feed that stupid cat. <laughs> and if, if their father is going to feed a cat who gives them zero in return, how much more will I give to my kids who I love? This is the same argument that God is making. If God feeds the birds, if God clothes the flowers, how much more? Will he take care of your needs? And, and, and this is important for us because what does he say? He says, look at the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the flowers. They don't even compare to the beauty of Solomon in all of his royal robes, uh, wealthiest man um, that lived during that time. 
Um, and so um, I, I, the table has always been an important part of the Christian faith. When I say the table, I mean the bread and the wine that that symbolizes. And, um, but we also put flowers up here. Um, and I was thinking about this this week. They're beautiful. Um, Alice always does a great job. She's got a great knack and eye for flower arrangements and, and things like that. Um, but there's always flowers up here. And so when you come in on a Sunday with some of your anxiety, with some of your worries, um, the table gives you a great place to look. Um, it gives you this great example. One of Christ, <laughs> if he would do this, but you also get these beautiful flowers as well as a reminder. They didn't do anything. They didn't spin any wool, any yarn to have to create their own clothes. They're just beautiful on their own because of what God actually did in his design. God cares about aesthetic. He cares about beauty. He cares about these things. How much more does he care about you? Martin Luther um, said it this way. He said, you see, he's making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel, a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. I love that. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, lovely lilies, how you rebuke our foolish nervousness. And so when we're feeling that anxiety well up within us, um, because it's hard, isn't it? It's the one thing um, that anxiety does. It crowds out everything else so that it's the only thing that's capturing your attention. It's the only thing that captures your imagination. And in those moments, we need to take a deep breath. We need to stop, go for a walk, listen to the birds preach to you. Look at the flowers. Stop and smell the roses, if you will. And remember, consider who you are in comparison to this. You're far more important to God than any other part of his creation. God creates in the creation narrative, and the pinnacle of his creation is humanity. Another thing that we see from the text here um, is your anxiety won't actually make, any, make your life any longer. It doesn't actually help at all. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Um, your translation might say a, a single cubit or, or uh, can add to, 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 his, to your height. Um, what Jesus is talking about here is we can't actually change um, the things that are unchangeable. You can't change. You can't lengthen your life at all. A cubit's about 18 inches. You can't add an extra 18 inch. That's about a step. You can't add one extra step to your life through anxiety, through worry. There's no benefit at all to worry. Anxiety is all negative. Now, this is, again, worry, anxiety. This is different from concern. It's different from planning our future. Uh, again, when Jesus says, hey, do these things, but don't do them this way, it's not an attack on those things. We should plan. There's nothing wrong with planning for your future. Nothing wrong with saving money. There's nothing wrong with having more than one shirt in a closet. Nothing wrong with having a closet. <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with those things. It's the space that they take up in our inner life. 
You can't extend your life at all. God is sovereign. The Bible says that God has numbered our days. There's nothing you can do to lengthen your life. You can eat, eat all the kale you want. And you're not going to add any, any extra seconds to your life that way. Now, eating kale, as uh, tasty as it is, might, it might, it, does that have benefits? Is eating a healthy diet beneficial? Yes, you'll, you'll, you'll live a healthier life for sure. But there's plenty of healthy vegans, marathon runners that drop dead. Why? Our days are numbered and ordered by God. There's wisdom in living a healthy life for sure. But God is sovereign. None of our anxiety actually matters. It doesn't actually change anything by worrying. The other thing we see is that anxiety is a symptom, really, of a worldly worldview. It it reveals that our worldview, how we think, isn't being completely shaped by God. Look at verse 31. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Uh, What shall we wear? And again, these aren't the only things, these are representative categories, right, of, of just anxiety in our life, of things that we worry about. Verse 32, don't do this, why? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. If your values are the same as the world, your anxiety will be the same as the world. We live in, a, in, a, in such an anxious culture. Such a worrisome anxiety, um, our, our, uh, our, our time, our place that we have in the world right now is marked by anxiety. And if we're the same, the whole point of this Sermon on the Mount is that we are to live a distinctly different life from the Gentiles, right? Don't pray this way. That's how the Gentiles pray. Don't do this. That's how the Gentiles pray. You as the people of God should be different, That doesn't, that doesn't mean that if you struggle with a bit of anxiety or worry that you're not a Christian, don't hear me wrong. We will all have to struggle at some level. But if our life is marked by constant anxiety over these things, Jesus asks us, how are we any different than the pagans? What we seek should be different than the world around us. What we value should be different than the world around us. Our ambitions should be different than the world around us. And so when we live, Jesus says, in anxiety, we live like those outside the kingdom of God, the Gentiles, pagans. And they were marked by anxiety. Why? As we've seen by this text, because of a double-heartedness. And so the reason that we don't have to be anxiety is because we are people that are whole. We are singular, singular of heart and mind, singular of affection. We'll see that further as we go on. Because we know who God is, and because our heart is on Him, focused on Him, it's not a like the hypocrites do, saying this, saying we believe these things, but in our heart, not actually, in our heart, doing it for other reasons, 
says that's how the Gentiles live. Trying to keep up with the Joneses is a pagan. It's, it's not a Christian worldview. It's not the way that we live as followers of Jesus. Part of the thing that we've said with this Sermon on the Mount is it leads us to a life of peace. It leads us to a life of flourishing. It leads us to a life of wholeness. The way of living like Jesus is laying out for us. And remember, this is the way that Jesus is, brings us less anxiety. Um, You remember even in chapter 6, verse 11, um, he says uh, that we're not to pray like the Gentiles, that we're just babbling on over and over and over again. Why? Because your Father knows what you need. Sorry, verse 7. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Why? For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we're not to live in anxiety. Why? Because your Father knows. And that's that's the next thing we want us to focus on. Your Father knows what you need. Again, if we're being honest, if we have a life that's marked by anxiety and worry, what, it really, what we're really saying by our actions, by the way that we're feeling, is I don't know that God can actually carry this. And so I have to carry it. I don't know that God actually sees this. I need to be the one that sees it. God isn't as sovereign as he said he is. God isn't as good as he says he is. God isn't as gracious as he said he is. God might not keep the promises that he told me he would keep. So I have to. Now, if you're like me, I would like, never actually intellectually consent to those things. I'm like, no, no, I, I actually believe that God is sovereign. He's good. He keeps his promises. But this is where we can be like the hypocrites, right? We say those things, but we deceive ourselves, and it's revealed because of our anxiety and our worry. That if we actually believe those things, it would quell our anxiety. It would lessen our worry. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't ever have those things, but it's how we combat those things when worry creeps in. We go back to knowing what is true and knowing who God is. Tim Keller says it this way, anxiety is a daily statement to God saying, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Which is why Jesus says in verse 32, oh, you of little faith. It reveals our lack of faith. When anxiety sets in, when it consumes us, we've lost sight of who God is, what His promises are. We've lost confidence in His goodness as a Father to us. We've lost faith. Our faith has been diminished. We have little faith. And so the question for us is, will we have faith in the Father? Will we trust who God actually says He is? Um, And we see this demonstrated. We said this isn't just a sermon on the mount. It's a silhouette of Jesus himself. This is what Jesus does, right? Do you remember before Jesus starts his ministry, before this sermon, he goes out into the desert and he fasts. 
And Jesus comes and tempts him. What does he tempt him with? Bread. And what's Jesus' answer? Having faith in the Father. Life is more than bread. <laughs> man, won't, man won't live by bread alone. He knows that God will supply his needs. He doesn't need to turn stones into bread. He doesn't need to lose faith in who, who the Father actually is and turn to satanic <laughs> solutions in that sense, pagan solutions, solutions that are apart from the Father. He has faith. He knows who the Father is. He knows who he is in the Father. That's why we come back to the gospel over and over and over again. The gospel isn't just what saves us. It's not just what reconciles us to the Father. It's also how we continue to grow and mature, right? So in those moments where my faith in, in who God says he is, will God provide? Will God come through? Will God actually meet my needs? We look to the gospel. We look not just to the flowers, but to the bread and wine. If while we were still enemies of God, God provided for our greatest need, our greatest need, to be raised from spiritual death to life while we were his enemies, if he would do that for us, how much more will he provide the small things, the daily things for his son and daughter? And the next thing we see from the text too is that anxiety is a waste of time. It can't change anything. Not that it just doesn't lengthen our life. It just actually... It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You can't change tomorrow. It's a waste of our time. Um, a lot of the kind of pop psychology, you know, how you kind of overcome some of these things is like visualization. So you need to visualize, you know, the life that you do want and, and you know, have the positive vibes whatever those are. And I don't know how to send those either. So if you ask me to send positive vibes, I don't know how to do that. I can pray for you. I don't know how to send vibes. Um, right, but it's to kind of envision the, the positive future that you want so that you can live into that. But that's not really, a re one, it's not, it's not really realistic. It doesn't do anything. And it's not how, how we actually work as people and it's not how we actually see the Bible teaching us to do this. It's actually the opposite. One of the questions that you could ask yourself is, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Um, we, see, we see this pattern in the Scripture. Um, if you want to turn to Psalm 27, you can. Um, let me just read this for you, right? Again, you'll see these patterns of David reminding himself who God is um, and what's the worst that could happen. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, what's the worst that could happen? This isn't like, let me envision the positive life of me in the palace. And No, an army is encamped, um, evildoers assailing to eat up my flesh. 
Though war rise against me, my heart shall not fear, yet I shall be confident. This idea of like, I'm afraid, I'm fearful. This is the scenario around me. It's anxiety. And so how does he combat this? One thing I've asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire at his temple. We'll come back to those three things in a second. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under his cover in his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me in answer. What does he do with his anxieties? Turn it into prayer. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a path because of my, leading me on a level path because of my enemies. This is not what Jesus is doing. He's teaching us his way. He's leading us on a path. Give me not to the will of my adversaries or false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. You can hear the anxiety and stress. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David thinks about the worst that can happen. His enemies getting the best of him. His father and his mother, his family forsaking him. And all throughout this, he's reminding himself of who God is. And he asks himself these questions. David does this a lot in the Psalms. He basically preaches sermons to his own heart. He asks himself questions. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The answer to that is no one. Why? Because the Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord will lift up my head above my enemies. The Lord will conceal me in his shelter. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. So this idea of dwelling, of gazing, and to inquire. This idea of dwelling is communicating the the unbroken presence of God in his life. I want to dwell. I want the presence of Christ to be unbroken in my life. It is that presence, it's his presence that dispels the fear, that dispels the anxiety. I've shared this before when I was going through uh, the hardest part of my cancer treatment. The presence, the real presence of the Lord was just palpable during that time. But it's also the time you're most afraid. It's also the time that you worry. (laughs) Will I make it through? And his presence is there. David says, I want to dwell. I want to abide in the house, in the presence of the Lord. Second, he says, I want to gaze. Is this not what Jesus commands us to do? Look at the flowers. Consider these things. This idea of looking upon the beauty of the Lord is communion with God. It's not just being in His presence. It's communion with Him. It's seeing Him for who He is. 
And he says, and then to inquire in his temple. Literally, to seek counsel. David knows that his heart will betray him. And so he places his emotions, he places his worry, he places his anxiety, and he brings it before the counsel of the Lord. It doesn't mean it's easy. If it were, he wouldn't have to keep telling his heart to take courage. And sometimes we have to wait. Honestly, it's the waiting for me, because I'm just, I can be impatient. It's the waiting for me that causes anxiety, right? Like, if I were just sentenced to death and knew that was happening now, okay, but you're like, hey, you're sentenced to death. It'll happen in 20 years. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, those are going to be, I would honestly rather have it today. Like, 20 years of that anxiety of just waiting, of knowing that something. Sometimes it's the waiting that's the hard part, but he's waiting on the Lord. He's, in, he's encouraging himself to be strong to let his heart take courage. Not because he's visualized some ideal future. The army's still around him. His family's abandoned him, but he knows that the Lord is with him. So a few things as we start to draw this to a conclusion. There's a few, a few things that I want to make sure that we don't take away, um, you know, kind of poor applications to this because, you know, we can jump from one thing that's truth to a, a non-truth. So some... Um, some applications that would be wrong for us to make. One, that somehow we're exempt from work, right? Oh, great. Well, I don't have to work hard. I don't have to actually do anything. You know, these birds, like, you know, the prophet, I just sit under a tree and ravens will come with my food, some kind of like holy deliveroo of some sort. That's not, uh, that happened once and it's not going to happen to you, <laughs> Um, right? God, God creates these birds, but He gives them ability to fly. He gives them wings. Uh, he gives them instincts. Uh, they still build nests. They still migrate. They still do all the things that, uh, within that. God says, I've created you a certain kind of way, and then I've filled the world full of provision. Now, use the ability that I've given you to get that provision. It's not that they don't have to work. It's not that they don't have to do anything. It's that God still provides for them. And same with us. God gives us abilities. He gives us health. He gives us, you know, arms, legs, and, and, and be able to go and work. And that's what we were created for. Work isn't a product of sinfulness and the fall. We were given the creation mandate to go and fill and subdue the earth long before. Not long. Actually, that's, that's our bad. It wasn't long at all before we messed it up. But before the fall. Now, our sin complicates that work. It makes it harder. Now we have the sweat of our brow by which we have to work. Now we have anxiety to have to deal with. But we're not exempt from work um, within that. Secondly, we're not exempt for caring for other people. Well, God will provide, you know, for people, so I don't have to do that. I don't have to be involved. No, we've already seen, like, we're to give to the poor. Sometimes the way that God provides to His people is through His people. Right? And we see this all, you know, Paul, uh, as he's going on his missionary journey, is being supported um, by Christians. Um, there, there's churches that are being persecuted, they're poor, they're in poverty, and other, other Christians, other churches are sending funds to them, money to them to support them. They're providing, God is providing their needs through his people to his people. So we're not somehow exempt for caring for the poor. 
We're told to, the, the true real religion results in us caring for the poor, the orphan, the widow. Um, we had Rachel and Joe. Most of you probably know Rachel and Joe. They're part of South Congregation now. Um, and man, they're caring for Lucy, her mom, um, who has dementia um, and is rapidly in decline, couldn't work, couldn't provide for herself uh, at this stage of her life anymore. And they don't go, well, the Lord will provide for her somehow. No, he's given us a family. Like, they're like, you're moving in with us. We're now going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about food. You know, we'll take care of you. God creates us to care for one another. When we're in those times where we can't work, where we can't provide for ourselves. We're also not exempt from experiencing trouble, right? We're told, in this world, you will have trouble. Thankfully, that's not where it stops. It says, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And so, you will have trouble. There, will, there are things in our life that we worry about, that, that we are concerned about. It's not that you should never experience anxiety. It's what you do with that anxiety when it comes up. Okay, now I have a choice to make. What do I do with this worry? What do I do with this anxiety? Do I allow it to consume me? Do I forget who God is and what he's promised to me and just focus on this and allow this to eat me up from the inside? Or do I bring this as David did before the Lord? Or this is what I'm worried about. We were actually, this is falling right on from the Lord's prayer. We are actually asking the Lord to provide for our needs in the confidence that he will. And so we're not exempt from trouble. So what is our remedy? What is our remedy to all of our anxieties, our worries? We see this really, right? Verse 32, don't don't be anxious for the Gentiles. They seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, so you don't have to worry and seek after all these things. You don't have to be anxious about these things, verse 33. But you, people of God, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. And so the reverse is this is also true. If we don't seek first the kingdom of God... So do you want anxiety? Do you want an anxious life? Then seek the kingdom of God later on and put yourself first. That's how you can live an anxious life. And when he talks about first, this isn't in a strictly chronological order. This doesn't mean that I, okay, before I get up and I can eat breakfast this morning, I have to like, you know, go out and do mission work or things like that. This idea of first is of first importance, it's, it's just coming back to what Jesus has said before, that we are singular, that we are whole, that we are um, it, it, people of integrity. We, our first aim, we have a singular aim and goal and devotion. This is back to the beginning again, chapter 5, verse 6. This is the same thing that we're to hunger and thirst, not after the things that God will provide for us, not after food and water. But we're to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's the righteousness that we've been talking about, the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus is indicating that the Christian life is not one of passivity. It's not awaiting this kind of, you know, coming kingdom that we just, it'll get here eventually. But seeking first the kingdom is precisely this concrete practice of righteousness. 
Seeking first his righteousness, that the kingdom, that the Sermon on the Mount is developing in us. It is the activity of a faithful disciple. It is practicing the way of Jesus. So the final solution then to anxiety, especially about money in the, in the context, um, is to set our heart and our mind to seeking God's way of being in the world in light of his coming reign, which promises to result in all of our needs being truly met. And so the solution to anxiety is not a simplistic, well, stop worrying, don't worry, be happy, but it's a redirecting of our vision, of our, of our worldview, of our heart to a proper orientation. And when we do that, it's accompanied by God's provision. He provides all that we need. It's not all that we want, by the way, but it's all that we need. And it's all that we need to live a life of godliness. There's no need for anxiety because anxiety is living in worry about something that doesn't yet exist. And it'll be dealt with when it does. It's tomorrow's troubles. Anxiety about the future reveals a focus too much on things of this world and maintaining them. And it puts us into this category of laying up earthly treasures. See how all these things are starting to fit together. When we're anxiety over all of these temporary things, we're seeking these earthly treasures. God says, no, seek treasures where the Father is. And then you get all the stuff, all the stuff that you need thrown in with that. Um, I should have looked it up because I'm going to butcher it probably. But C.S. Lewis has this quote. If you aim for earth, you basically miss it and you don't get it. But aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in. Something like that, right? That's close enough. You get the gist. So anxiety is an example of this double-souledness. It's the opposite of the singleness that marks the whole person virtue of following Jesus. The issue of food and clothing, um, the issue of, of the, our desires that are temporary, their treasure, heart matters. This is what Jesus is driving at once again. When we live in anxiety we, about providing for ourselves, it just reveals, it perpetuates this double-heartedness. Of saying we believe this about God and who he is, that he's a good father, and yet our anxiety about him actually being that reveals that we're, we're double-hearted in that. that. We're of little faith. And Jesus is calling us to, to look and to consider and to allow that to grow our faith. Not having a splitting of the soul between the now where the Heavenly Father meets us and some imagined dreaded future of need. And that's the normal kind of human experience that Jesus is calling us away from. He's calling us to a life of peace. It's the non-God-directed heart that is laying up earthly treasures that ironically lead to more anxiety. They don't actually provide. They don't actually lead to peace. The psalmist uh, asked the question in Psalm 43.5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
Not, this is, again, I love the Psalms. I love the Scriptures because just honest about life, there are times where our soul is downcast. There are times where we feel anxiety. There are times where we feel depressed. And a great question to ask, why? Why do I feel this way? And why are you in turmoil within me, he asks. Why are you anxious? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We're to hope in God. We're to see him. We're to seek him. Whatever you're anxious about today, money, needs, exams, jobs, relationships, whatever they may be, if those things were solved somehow, your anxiety was, was kind of lifted and relieved, it just relieved temporarily until the next thing comes along. There's, there's always something. I don't have enough money. You get enough money. You get more than enough money. Ask anybody that has loads of money. They're not free from anxiety. There's just more and different kinds of anxiety. Here's Philippians 4, straight up. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's not an accident that these things follow right after the Lord's prayer. We're to ask, and He gives. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Very simple. So simple that they can almost kind of sound cliched, right? Oh, hope in God, trust in God. But, but it's simple because it's true. We need to place our hope in Him, in His kingdom. And his righteousness. Not have little faith, but have much faith and have hope in him. When I'm anxious, when I'm worrying about things, it's usually because my hope has been misplaced. My hope is if these things work out, then I'll be okay. But the reality is that even if these things don't work out, God still supplies everything that I need. What's the worst that could happen? I die? Paul says, no, that's for the Christian. That's actually gain. (laughs) That's not loss. You've gained everything in that moment. If our hope is in, in God, if our hearts are singular and we are seeking after him and his righteousness first and foremost, our Father who is good, Our Father who knows what you need before you even ask for it supplies all your needs and he guards our hearts and he gives us a peace that passes any kind of understanding. How can you have such peace in the middle of cancer? How can you have such peace in facing death? How can you have such peace when you're getting ready to go bankrupt? How can you have such peace when your relationships are falling, when that person walked out of your life, when you've been betrayed? How can you have such peace? We don't understand that. A world doesn't understand that. I don't understand that. And yet it's true. God guards our hearts and our minds through Christ. 
Let's pray. Father, we, um, we need your hope. We need your help this morning. We are um, a, an anxious people um, by nature. Father, we confess that there are times where, where our faith is little, where it's not enough, um, where we lose sight. We don't see even the simple truths um, presented to us like birds and flowers. Um, your care for us, how much you care and love us, how much you value us as you've created us in your image. The birds aren't created in your image. Flowers aren't created in your image. And yet we are because you love us, because you care for us. So, Father, for those of us that are, are followers of Jesus this morning, um, help our unbelief. Help increase our faith. Help us to consider and to look to you, not to be anxious, but to bring everything to you in prayer. Father, we come to you and we pray um, because you are sovereign, because we know you can meet our needs, because nothing is outside of, of, of your capabilities and abilities, that you are at hand. Father, remind us of that this morning. Father, I pray if there's Someone here that's exploring these things doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they would know this peace. Today would be the day that they would know you as Father, not just as some kind of theoretical God, but personally. May today be that day of salvation that is the psalmist I'm praying for. I ask this in your name.